Hello, I'm Luca De Giglio, and this is the Web3 in Travel podcast, where you can learn about crypto, blockchain, and how the new internet will change travel. If you were with me in the last episode when we talked about fees, thank you so much. I know this is difficult to understand and probably also not too exciting. The fun starts after these things. You need to learn a few basic things and then you can start having fun. Like when you learn to drive a car, there's a few difficult things. and uh, But once you master the basics, well, then you can travel and you can go everywhere you want and really start exploring. That's what we're going to do today. Today we are going into a full exploration of a completely new land. We will talk about DAOs, the Centralized Autonomous Organizations. And as always in crypto, these names and these acronyms are, are not the best, like NFT, non-fungible tokens, probably the worst acronym in the world when you try to explain what something means by saying what it is not. But let, let's analyze this, this one. The Centralized Autonomous Organizations. Decentralized. This is already a very difficult word. But what does it mean? You know, I, I've been trying to explain you what decentralized means, and I'm sure something went through, uh, but it's not something we instinctively know what decentralized means, right? Then autonomous. What is autonomous? Like autonomous from whom? And what does it even mean? And then organizations. Okay, that's the only word which actually probably makes sense to you. So let me let me start from from what we have today in our world, and then let's go to DAOs and see how they differ, okay? Before we start, let me apologize for repeating concepts a lot. Uh, Sometimes I don't remember if I talked about it, and this is only the fifth episode. Imagine when we get to the 20th or 30th, so I'm not keeping track of the things I've explained. This is not like a university lesson or whatever. And I'm not worried about this because these concepts need to be repeated many times before they are absorbed. And I told you this at the beginning, even if I repeat this 10 times, until you start doing things, basically go in front of a computer, connect a wallet, start doing transactions, you you won't understand. I mean, it's too theoretical. There's too many layers of theory on top of, of each other, right? So DAOs again. Um, let's start from what we have today, which is similar to DAOs. So the most similar thing to DAOs is companies. And maybe a bit closer to DAOs are cooperatives. Now, we know very well what corporations are. You know, Google is a corporation. Uh, any, any big company in your, in your country is a corporation. Even small companies are, uh, in a way, corporations. So what, what is a corporation? Let's analyze that. So a corporation is a structure, it's something we invented as societies to organize people, coordinate people around the production of goods or services. People create companies because they want to create a good or a service. A family is also a construct, but it is not to produce goods and services, is for people to reproduce themselves in a way or to live together with uh, a special bond, okay? So families do not have at their core 
the production of goods or services. Even if sometimes families are also companies, you know, the family company, which the family firm, which also creates things. But so we have these different social constructs, right? Um, like the church is also a social construct. They are organized about something else. We're not going to go into this, but we know that this is, it is different, but still it's people organizing around an idea in a certain way. So let's go back to companies. Let's see how a company is built. So you first have a founder who has an idea and wants to build something, or you have a couple of founders, right? So this founder, and let's let's go to the most modern company we have today, which are startups that later becoming big, big corporations. So you have a couple of founders. Um, they have an idea for a service or a product, or let's say a software, and um, they need money. So they invite into their idea some people who have more money than time or more money than willingness to execute ideas. So they put the money. So now we have the founders. You have the investors. There you go. The investors give money to the founders. The founders give shares to the investors. And they start building the product or the service, right? As they grow, they start spending this money in... Uh, hiring people so you have now maybe 10 people think about the structure you have a pyramid okay you have on the top the investors and the founders the founders hire people below them and usually if there's two founders there's more than more employees than founders so there's like 10 employees right and then as the company grows you hire more people and then you have maybe a hundred people and there's managers and there's employees. And as it grows, this pyramid becomes bigger. And the top of the pyramid is farther and farther from the bottom. So imagine if you work in a company with 10 people, you probably meet the boss every day and you have a close relationship. While if you work in a huge corporation, let's say Apple, good luck talking to the CEO, right? Maybe even seeing the CEO, maybe you see you see him or her uh, once every, every year or something, okay? Now we have this structure, which is a pyramid. And let's see how the money flows into this structure. So the money first started from the top, which at the time was just a, a tiny dot. And then as it became a, a pyramid and this dot became the top of the pyramid, um, the money started going down because the boss, the, the bosses, the founders started paying the employees, right? So we have money on the top, which flows down. And the higher you are into this pyramid, the more money you get, because if you are one of the managers, you get more money than the last intern who's just been higher. So then the money starts coming in because you actually produce something, let's say, again, a software, and the money comes in. Where does the money go? If a customer pays this new startup, where does the money go? Does it go at the bottom and flows up? No, it goes at the top, right? It goes to people at the top who manage the bank accounts. And then this money is spent in external expenses like marketing, and it is spent in internal expenses like employees, like um, labor force. So the money flows down again. And then you have the money coming up from the top and going down, and then from the top and going down, right? This is the flow of the money. Internally, you also have people who can go from the bottom to the top, other people get from the from any level they get out because they get fired or they leave. So you have this flow of people going going up. It's very rare for people to go from top to down. So a manager 
it, it's rarer or it's very rare for a manager to go from a certain position to lower. It's much more common for people to go from low to higher. Okay, so this is kind of to give you a, a geometrical figure here to think about. It's a pyramid, right? So it's a state. A state is a pyramid. Uh, so it's the church. The church is a pyramid. Is a family a pyramid? Maybe the parents on top and the kids down, but it's a very limited one. Is the large family a pyramid? Maybe, because the positions are, are depending on different things. But all our organizations tend to be pyramid, hierarchical. And um, this is why we call them centralized, because the decisions are taken at the top. So power tends to concentrate at the top. In hierarchical systems, the power concentrates at the top. And we've seen this with money, right? The money goes straight to the top and then it's, it's given downstream in a never uh, slowing fashion as it gets closer to the bottom. The, the, more, the closer you are to the top, the more money you have and the, the lower you are, the less money. So hierarchical systems, by definition, are a um, concentration of power system. I'm not saying this is good or bad. Now, when this hierarchical system grows, when the pyramid grows, the top is ever farther from the bottom. So there's a problem of communication in a way. There's a lot of data, a lot of communication, a lot of chatting, a lot of discussions, a lot of ideas which have to reach the top. But if the top is really far, um, the person at the top, they don't have bigger brains than the other persons. They have the same amount of time in a day and the same amount of uh, brain power. Maybe they're a bit, you know, stronger, whatever, but it's not by orders of magnitude. So the, the data, the information has to, in a way, be filtered, synthesized, and so it loses quality of signal. The people on the top have difficulties to take decisions because there's just too much information to deal with. That's why companies, corporations, can scale to a certain point. Then they hit a wall, and this is a scaling wall. It's where things become just too big to be managed. So what you can do in these situations is to kind of split the company and let individual you know, companies which belong to the same mother company but take decisions by themselves. Otherwise, it's just not manageable. Uh, these things were, you know, it's the same dynamics which, you know, made empires collapse. Like the Roman Empire just became too big. Then it, it, it got divided in two. And, uh, you know, one survived longer, one less. But when, it's, when these hierarchical systems become too big, they crumble and they crash because there's too much weight, which the base cannot keep. That will be the physical explanation. Actually, it's not. It's the top. We cannot, cannot deal with all the information. There's a, a bandwidth limit which they, they, they hit, right? So is Google too big? Is Facebook too big? Is any you know, big company too big? Well, they are probably not too big because they still work. Can they be 10 times bigger? So the question is, can we have a 10 times bigger Google or a 10 times bigger Booky.com or a 100 times bigger? Maybe, but we are going to hit a certain limit after which it just becomes uh, unmanageable, okay? So I'm not telling you all the good things about companies, even if it's obvious. We, with companies, we were able to organize things which were just impossible before, things which the governments are not able to. And so companies as a concept have been incredible for taking us ahead as, a, as human societies. 
I'm going to try to tell you where the theoretical limitations of companies are, and then we're going to see if DAOs can go beyond this, if they are better suited for certain kind of endeavors, okay? We said that there's a problem of information, so it's difficult to take good decisions. It's also hard to localize, right? Think about these huge companies, especially these startups, um, like Airbnb, for instance, right? They they came to Europe from America at a certain point. It was clear that, yes, they were super successful, but they didn't have the capacity to localize, to adapt to the local environment. And so they, they were perceived as arrogant. It's like, that's the way it works. Take Uber. Uber didn't go in every country trying to understand the law and trying to adapt to the law. They just went in and said, we're going to do whatever we do. It doesn't matter the local regulation. We are going to disrupt Whatever the law is, we don't really care. Now, Uber is a great example of uh, corporations which are not willing or able to localize properly, and they just go ahead under the push of the speculation of the investment. They have to keep growing, otherwise they, the music stops. And by this, I mean that if the company keeps growing, you're going to have always new investors who are putting money into this machine, in the case of Uber, which is not even making money, it's just losing money, right? So it becomes something which it has to grow in order not to die. That's another aspect of, of companies, especially these 21st century companies based on uh, investment or high-risk investment and disruption. Companies as they are today, at least these kind of companies, have another, let's say, weak spot in terms of, from the point of view of societies they enrich people who were able to invest early. If you could have invested, let's say, $100,000 in Uber at the beginning, just a few years later, those $100,000 would be worth about $2 billion. $2 billion. This is 2,000 millions, okay? Now, um, these kind of opportunities are usually not open to normal people. It is really hard unless you have a lot of money and you are in the right place and you are in the United States specifically an accredited investor to get exposure to these kind of opportunities. This has changed lately in Europe with the crowdfunding, but that's, you know, it's, it's just a subset of the whole thing. Again, these corporations, how, how they, they exist today, they, they kind of favor concentration of money too. Companies can also be considered as basically what? What is a company? Uh, let, let's think about Booking.com, just to stay you know, in, our, in our environment. So Booking.com, is it the building where they're in? Is Booking.com the building where Booking.com is? No, because if they move the building, uh, they're still Booking.com. Who is Booking.com? The seal? No, they can replace the seal. Who is it? The people who are working there? No, you could change 60% of them. It would still be Booking. Companies, in a way, are a set of contracts. You have... The contract, which or the, the legal piece of paper, which certifies that Booking has opened a company back in the day. Then you have the contracts Booking.com has with the hotels. Then you have the contracts the Booking.com has with the customers, the guests, people who book. It's a contract. Then you have the contracts with the people and the companies which offer service to them. They have contracts with the banks and so on. So a company is basically a set of contracts. And a contract is an agreement which can be enforced. If you make this agreement and then you don't respect it, you're going to have to pay the consequences. So 
you are bound to this agreement. That's that's at the very basic level what a company is. That's why you could sell a company to somebody else. The buyer acquires all these agreements, also with the employees, I'm not sure I said that, and it could change everything. They could change every bank account. They could you know, fire everybody and rehire anybody. They could change the, those contracts, but the fact that they can change them, it comes from the fact that they had them in the first place, right? Brand, the brand is also part of the company, and this is something which is not a contract, right? So you have the external recognition and the contracts. To finish these presentations of companies, I'm sure you didn't have any need for it, but I just wanted to lay the ground for, for the DAOs. Companies are a way we found to organize and coordinate labor ideas and capital to create services and goods and make a profit. Let me talk about profit. Why are companies so efficient compared, for instance, to governments or to families or to, I was going to say the church, but actually the church is even more uh, efficient. Or maybe not. The church is not that efficient, but it's got this incredible resilience. There's no company which is 2,000 years old. So, but apart from that, the profit is the system, is the mechanism which puts the incentives at the right place. So, because a company without a profit eventually dies, the um, efficiency of all these, you know, co coordination efforts is really, really high compared to previous ways we had to coordinate labor, right? Imagine the village uh, centuries ago where everybody has to do his or her work, right? There's always a laggard who's going to work less, who's going to eat maybe more than the others, right? And, and companies are much, much less prone to this kind of uh, attack. If you don't work well, you're not going to grow. You're not going to get a big salary. Um, maybe you're going to get fired. Now, of course, there's companies where actually when they get very big, this is not true. It's when you get very big. If you know how to play politics, you're going to make more money than people who work well. But that's just a proof of the fact that over a certain size, companies lose efficiency. But profit has a dark side. We know this very well. We've seen this with the corporations in the last centuries in very clear ways. You know, the tobacco uh, industry, we've seen with this lead in, in the petrol, we've seen with the big pharma. If Profit is the most important thing. These corporations, which are not people taking decisions, corporations have their own mind. They are basically independent from people. We're going to get to this very soon. They, they have no problem in killing people to make money. Zero problems. You know, the tobacco industry knew very well the cigarettes were harmful and they kept pushing them and advertising them for a long time before the slow governments were able to kind of slow it down. That's the concept about they are not evil or good. They are amoral. Corporations have no morality. It is just not something which is on the balance sheet. It's just numbers, money coming in, money coming out. So profit has the gift of efficiency, but this efficiency comes at a cost, especially when there's too much power in the hand of corporations. They're going to abuse this power. And this is a very common pattern in every organization with too much power. Now, I'm not advocating communism or whatever, because, you know, even communism is 
like a form of government in a way which has the same problem. It, it, it goes beyond morality because the, as with the church too, the first object becomes of the survival of the institution itself. But let's finally get to the DAOs and stop bitching about the corporations and saying, you know, how bad they are. They're not bad. They are very efficient. That, that's what I will say. They're not bad or good. They're very efficient. In that, they've been very useful in most ways. They've been also uh, negative in other ways. There's no moral judgment here. It's just a system, a machine which works in certain ways. We just have to be aware of how they work. And now that we have a new way to organize and coordinate humans, uh, let's, you know, let's see them. Let's see DAOs. So I've been experimenting with the DAO concept for maybe four or five years now. And um, I'm very happy that finally today we are seeing some awareness. So just last night we had this call with, with some people, random people from LinkedIn who wanted to know uh, what the DAO is and how we can make something in, in the travel space as a DAO. So it is going mainstream. This is just the beginning of a multi-decade journey with DAOs, okay? So what the hell is a DAO? I will make you some examples from real and existing DAOs. And I think this is going to be more interesting than just giving you the theory as I've done until now, okay? Let's start with Sushi. Sushi Swap, that's the name of the DAO, which I've seen come to life from, from nothing, basically. Okay, let's go back to September 2020. In September 2020, there was this exchange protocol, DEX, Decentralized Exchange. Basically, a website where you can put one token and exchange it for another. This is a protocol in the sense that the smart contracts were built by Uniswap Labs they were completely out of the control of Uniswap Labs. They are just on the Ethereum network. So if Uniswap Labs closed, they would still exist. And the interface you use, so the, the, the website you actually, where you're clicking buttons, was managed by Uniswap Labs. But if they close it down, you can do it from your computer anyway, or you can very quickly create an interface. So in a way, Uniswap Labs built something which they released in nature. And it's there in the nature is the internet and they completely lost control of it, right? This is one of the concepts of decentralized applications, DAPs. Difficult to understand. I know, very powerful too, right? It's like Airbnb creates Airbnb and then the, the software runs independently from the company. The company cannot take it away anymore from the internet. That, that This level of disruption. So Uniswap is, is, is being successful. Uh, the, the amount of money exchange grew very quickly. It went from a few millions to a billion in a question of a few months, right? Very successful. But the code, because it's an open protocol, the code, the code is open. You can take the code and make your own version. And Uniswap had just raised money from investors. And this is something not everybody likes in crypto because if investors put money before you can, the feeling is that once you get in after them, they're going to basically use your money as actual liquidity. So you pay them to get out and you, you have the, the worst deal, right? This is not true all the time, uh, but some people say see like this and in some cases it's true, right? And so Uniswap got money and many felt this like a, a, they were kind of betraying the ethos. 
So somebody said, we're going to do the same as Uniswap, but we're going to do a token. Why a token? Because the token is a way to distribute what money the protocol does with anybody who has a token. So they made a copy of this. They call it SushiSwap. And they said, we are going to do a token, and this token is going to be given to anybody who helps the system. And helping the system meant putting some money into it to be used in the pools, to be, to be used for exchanges, right? And tokens are really, really powerful. So a lot of the billion dollars liquidity, maybe 600 millions, moved overnight to SushiSwap. This project was not a week old, and it got 600 million Forgive me for the numbers. I, I'm not finding anymore the exact data, but I'm very close to that. Somebody built a, a software, actually copied a software, said, come over here because we're going to treat you better. You're going to give you a token. And everybody moved the money there. And everybody got the tokens and the token price started going up because every time somebody made a swap, a small percentage went to the token. I think it was a, a week or two after SushiSwap was born, that it was like almost as big as Uniswap, right? So this new protocol, which was two weeks old, was making millions of dollars a day in fees. The founder was anonymous. There was a name, it was a tweet handle, Twitter handle. Nobody knew who this person was. And the people participating into this were people like me or you who just decided to buy some tokens or maybe put liquidity in the pool and participate to the, to the whole protocol because the protocol is made of liquidity. It needs money into it to work, right? So SushiSwap went from nothing to over a billion and 400 million dollars in liquidity in a matter of a few weeks, maybe a couple of weeks. Then it went down to 300 million and then people organized around this. So a Discord server was launched. If you don't know Discord, it's just like Slack, just the crypto community prefers Discord. And they started to organize. Some people started saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, etc. So look how this worked. At a certain point, a certain person called OX Maxi, which is anonymous to this day, said, okay, I'm going to take over this project because the founder actually had to leave. He did some dirty trick I'm not going to say here because it takes too long, but basically there was a very dangerous moment, a very big crisis. SushiSwap was almost dying. And this guy, we think is a guy because I heard the voice, said, I'm going to take over and please pay me. I'm going to do it. Look how this worked. It's amazing. People said, okay, take over, whatever. You have to know this guy was in the Discord server for the beginning. It was helping for free. He was in the project. He actually knew the, the founder and he said, okay, I'm going to take over. And the community put some proposals and people voted. And the proposals were how much we pay him and what he does. And the, the, the proposal passed and he was paid, I think, a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And he got a lot of sushi tokens and, uh, and he started basically leading this project. The treasury of the project wasn't in his hands. The treasury was in the hand of a multi-sig. Basically, there were a certain number of people, uh, famous people in the crypto space, who offered their help, and they became signers of the safe. So you had these millions of dollars in the safe, and if you wanted to move it, and to these days like this, if you want to move them, the token holders have to vote, 
and then the signers sign a transaction, for instance, to pay a certain person or a certain service. Then other people came forward and said, okay, I'm going to do design. I want $50,000 or $100,000 a year. Do you want me? That's what I can do. That's what I'm going to do. Simply a text on the website and people voted with their tokens because there are softwares like snapshot.org where you can vote only if you have tokens in your wallet. And I myself voted these things. So if you vote and the community votes the majority, then this guy has a job. Look the way these guys found the job. They went into a Discord. They wrote a message saying, I want to help. These are my skills. I want this amount of money. Some people around the world who never met each other and there's no contract. Nobody's working actually for a company here. They voted yes and this person started getting money. Of course, the money here is not dollars or euro. It's tokens, sushi tokens. But the tokens were on the market. They were worth $5, $8, $10. The, the, the price changed all the time. And people got a job like this. To this day, SushiSwap is not a company. They didn't open a company anywhere. Nobody is hired formally. They don't have a bank account. They are, they have over $4 billion in liquidity in their smart contracts. And they do $500 million in liquidity a day, which means also that they make a certain amount of fees which are about, I think, $10, $15 million a day, which go mostly to people who put money in liquidity. But a small part goes to Sushi, the DAO, and they, it goes into the, um, the treasury. Some of it is, is used to buy the token on the market. If I'm not wrong, I haven't followed lately. And some of it stays in the treasury to pay people to work. So the most striking aspect of the Sushi story now they are called Sushi because they acquired the domain name Sushi.com. The most striking aspect is the speed in which this has happened. There was no way a company could be that fast because you have to open a company, do all the paperwork, uh, hire people, you know, there's a whole process for hiring people, etc. This happened in at lightning speed, at incredible scale, globally, because the pool of talent is everywhere. There's no limitation. The DAO doesn't even have to go out looking for people. People come to the DAO. And there's nobody in charge of filtering people out and saying, okay, you know, do an interview before you get in. You just get in. Uh, normally, the best thing is just start working for free and show that you are good, show that you are capable of doing things. And then at a certain point when people know you, and again, it doesn't matter if they know your face or your name. You could be a handle on Discord, whatever name you decide. You say, okay, I want to take over this part and I want this amount of money and you're going to get the job or not. It is incredibly fast and global. Now, does this mean it's the best way to organize human labor ever? No, I'm sure it's the best way for certain scenarios and it doesn't work at all for other scenarios. But if you consider this is a new thing and it's already having this kind of impact, you can kind of look at the trajectory and say, wow, these things can be really big. Let me tell you another story of another DAO. And this is an example of a real company, classic, you know, normal startup, which decides to go full DAO. This is a story of Shapeshift. Shapeshift is or was an exchange where you would you know, download an app and use it to exchange your tokens, your Bitcoin, other things. All the classic DeFi 
things, which is exchanging money, lending money, borrowing money, etc. etc. And by money here, I mean cryptocurrencies. Okay. Shapeshift was founded by Eric Voris, Voris, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, who is a libertarian and wanted to be, you know, has been part of Bitcoin since the beginning and like the libertarian ideas of Bitcoin. Uh, but then he, he quickly, you know, as the company grew, he quickly found the difficulty in dealing with all the regulations, especially KYC, know your customer, in which every time you acquire a customer, you have to basically control their documents. And this is very expensive and it, it really goes against the privacy of people. So he didn't like it, right? And it became so hard to do this kind of job, this kind of startup, that you wanted to shut it down or do a DAO. So what happened? Uh, at a certain point, they started using uh, Uniswap and other decentralized exchanges for the exchanges. So when you use them, you're not exchanging money anymore. You as a company, you're just giving access to an open software. It's like somebody who gives you access to the internet. You are not responsible for the internet itself. And they kind of started thinking, why are we still doing this? This is just too cumbersome and it goes against our principles. And he decided, they decided together to basically become a DAO. So how does a company become a DAO? Well, the first step for them has been to create a token, which is called the FOX token, and give this token to anybody who has used the platform in the past. And even people out of the platform, but people who have used other protocols, people who actually have shown interest and knowledge in, in DeFi. So they made this airdrop. You know, I talked to you about airdrops. So people started getting money, maybe 200 or 500 or, or a bit more dollars. And uh, that meant basically giving the shares of the company to people in the in this space, right? And then they moved or they are in the process. This whole process is, is supposed to last about six months. They started moving the treasury, so all the cryptocurrencies they have, to a safe, I think a Gnosis safe. So the one I was explaining before, like in SushiSwap, uh, SushiSwap's case, where the money is not managed by the company anymore, by a group, but by a group of people. So the exchanges are decentralized. The safe is decentralized. They are going to close the company. And all the governance and the decisions, basically, are going to be taken by whom? By people who have the tokens. And who has the tokens? Well, I have some tokens because I got a few of them, right? So when there's decisions to be taken, I can vote. So that's the idea of basically saying, okay, this company now belongs to the community. The founder is not a philanthropist. He kept 5% of the tokens. So if the DAO is successful, his tokens would be very valuable. They already are valuable, but maybe it's gonna, they're going to be 10 times more valuable. So you have an interest. And he had his exit, right? So he was able to get money out of the company. I don't know if he sold or not. So another example of a DAO, uh, and I tell you this one because it's really recent and it's interesting, and it also kind of failed, but it's still very interesting, is the Constitution DAO. This will help you understand that the scope of DAOs is much beyond just companies. It's just a new way to organize people around ideas and projects, right? A few copies of the Constitution, or maybe one copy of this Constitution of the United States, was put on auction a few days ago. I think there were originally 500 copies of the Constitution, like the real ones at the beginning, the original ones. 
and uh, they're still around maybe 15, and there's one which is, is not an auction. Somebody can buy it, like a private person can buy it, a museum can buy it, etc. Somebody tweeted, let's build a DAO to buy the constitution. So we, the crypto world, own the constitution. They raised, in a matter of days, $40 million. Of course, not dollars. You cannot do this with banks, right? They raised them in Ethereum. Sorry, again, in Ether. So people started sending Ether to one address, a safe, I suppose. I haven't really followed very closely. They raised this money, and then the people who were organizing this, they made the bid for the auction. They lost it. Somebody paid more. And now they are they are in the process of getting the money back and they tokenized it. It's a whole different story. It doesn't matter. So people were able to organize very quickly on a large scale around an idea. They raised the money, they made a bet, and that the story ended. This wasn't possible with banks. Not so quickly, not at that scale, not in this way. Another super interesting DAO is City DAO. This is also very, very recent, right? So everything starts from the fact that the state of Wyoming in the United States made a law um, which recognizes DAO as entities. So now DAOs are something like in your country, unless you're from Wyoming and everywhere in the world, if you say I have a DAO, there is no legal construct to deal with it. It's just not recognized. You could say I have a sandwich, you know, it's, it's not an an agent in, in the legislation, but the Wyoming decided to make a law for DAO, for DAOs, right? So it means that now DAOs in that state can own bank accounts, they can own real estate, and they can own stuff in the real world. So somebody tweeted out, why don't we do a DAO to build a city? And we call it City DAO. And everybody, of course, in crypto loved the idea. And they started basically a Discord channel where you can go and discuss these ideas. And then they started uh, a fundraising. How did they do the fundraising? They created some NFTs called Founding Citizen. So if you bought the NFT for, I think it was $1,000 or something like that, you will be one of the citizens of this new DAO of the city. That gives you the right to buy a piece of land, a real piece of land. And, uh, and many people bought it. So then they made, uh, that was the founding citizen NFT. Then they made the normal kind of the, the normal citizen NFT. They, they, they did a few NFTs. They raised money. They bought the land. Okay. And anybody who, who has this citizen NFT can then, when they're going to split the land in pieces and decide what to do, can buy a piece of it. Now, how, how will this decide it? If you go in their Discord channel, you will see that they are discussing those proposals. People are going to make proposals and people with the NFTs are going to vote. In this case, there's no token, but there are NFTs. Anybody who has an NFT can vote. And if the vote has a quorum and it passes, then they're going to do whatever the, the, the proposal was asking to do. Again, the speed is staggering. It started with a tweet on the 2nd of July, 2021, with the following text. Starting a DAO to buy and tokenize land in Wyoming. Who wants in? That's it. 2nd of July. They created a Discord channel, the website, the NFTs. They sold the NFTs. They did the LLC. They purchased, they found the land and they purchased the land in a matter of a few months, four months. So the idea 
caught the attention of Vitalik Buterin, the founder, the co-founder of Ethereum. Then uh, the NFT was purchased by Mark Cuban. It's an American billionaire. The founder of Coinbase, Brian Armstrong, got in. So it, it got pretty, pretty big, right? Uh, the cost of the NFT at the beginning, you would pay $1,000 in Ether to the DAO. And now it's worth about $4,000 about a few weeks later. There's also this speculative aspect. If you get into successful DAOs at the beginning, you can invest a certain amount of money and multiply it in the exactly same way as only the rich people could do before, right? The people who could invest in startups in Silicon Valley. This is now possible to everyone, everywhere in the world, permissionlessly. So you could do this without signing a paper, without a whitelist. You just need to have some ether in your wallet and you send the you, you mint the NFT and you are in 100%. Now, this specific DAO goes to touch the very thorny subject of law, uh, local law, land law, etc. So I don't know what's going to happen in, in the future. Maybe they're going to say, okay, you bought the NFT, but you are from Iran. Uh, America doesn't like Iran, so you cannot be part of it. Whatever, you're going to sell the NFT. Again, because you bought an NFT, which is transferable, and it's basically anonymous. So, okay, if you cannot be into it, you probably will be able to sell it. So now this seems to be the moment in which everybody's going to do a DAO. It's going to be fashionable. And of course, people are going to do DAOs just to raise money and run with it. So if you know that you're sending money to a specific safe with the right people, you can be safe. If you don't know what you're doing, you're going to lose your money. There's going to be DAOs where DAOs are not needed and companies are much better, but because DAOs are fashionable, let's do a DAO. There's going to be all these things, right? It's, it always happens like this. When it goes too much mainstream too quickly and, and people start hearing that it's easy to raise money, you get all the sharks coming in. So this environment it's, is dangerous because money is really liquid. It's really easy to send money around. Once it's sent, you cannot get it back. There's no papers involved. So be very careful. Um, today, I tried to explain you the, the basic concepts of DAOs, but it doesn't mean they are all good and everything is a, is a good investment. You don't even need to invest in a DAO. Actually, I would suggest you, if you're interested in DAOs, get into one of those Discord channels, start reading, read a lot, then start writing, interact with people, Ask where can you help, or maybe don't even ask it, just start doing things. It should be pretty obvious where help is needed and start making yourself useful, okay? Then you will understand DAOs. You don't need to buy anything to be part of a DAO. That would be the first best step in general. So one thing I haven't really said, I wanted to tell you the stories first, is that DAOs are not hierarchical. They are flat. There's no top. Now, we have to be very honest here, there's nothing which is completely flat or completely centralized. Of course, if you're part of, I don't know, City DAO, somebody is on top of things, right? Somebody, people who launched it are probably more involved and they have more power. Maybe power in the sense that whatever they say will be listened more than what I say or you say. Human beings are always uh, going towards centralization for, for many reasons. Now, it's a range. A DAO is much more decentralized, a true DAO, of course, not a fake one, than, than a company. And again, if it, in some cases, it doesn't even make sense to be decentralized. I'm not saying everything has to be decentralized, right? The thing is, the basic structure of the DAO is flat. And being flat, it means the information 
at least in theory, should travel better. Uh, there's the lately uh, DAOs tend to organize more in small groups, doing small tasks, so there's no bloat of information. And also in theory and in practice, in some cases, the scalability issue is, is not there. You can scale a DAO to a much bigger size than a centralized company. Now, does this mean that DAOs can just scale without any pain, without problem, without breaking down? No, they are as fragile as companies in some ways. In some ways, they're much, much more resilient. A DAO can survive years without making any money because if people just work on it because they enjoy it, maybe you know when you work for a DAO, you normally don't have a certain amount of hours to, to put on the table. You don't have to show up at work, at least at the fringes. Of course, people who get paid, they have to bring results, not ours. Look how, how this fits perfectly with the new ethos of uh, remote working, where you're not paid by the number of hours that you are keeping the, the, the seat warm, but you are paid by the value you bring to the project. So you can be very involved with the DAO, even being paid a lot in the DAO and be one of the most important people. Nobody's going to tell you where were you at 8 o'clock. You work the time you want. You're going to end up probably work more than if you worked in an office because you, you enjoy your job, right? And if you stop enjoying it, it's fine. You just leave. The, the amount of freedom and flexibilities that flexibility DAOs offer is not comparable to any company of any kind in general. Now, as with everything else in crypto and in Web3, this is all experimental. So again, if your attitude is like, yeah, you know, DAOs, tell me why DAOs would be better to make shoes. I don't know. Maybe the best thing to make shoes is a company. Maybe it's a small family company. Maybe it's a big, I don't know. I'm not here to sell you on the DAO idea. I'm here to tell you, look, there's a new thing. It has some very interesting fundamentals. Okay, it works differently than what we had until now. It's something which wasn't possible before because we didn't have cryptocurrencies. We didn't have Web3. Now it is possible. We are experimenting with this. I'm pretty sure that in 10 years from now, they're going to look completely different. I think that we will see DAO in the next 10 years, which are bigger than, than countries. I'm pretty sure about that. I don't know what they will do. I hope they're going to be good DAOs again. Technology, you could do good things, you could do bad things. It's a gun, you know, you can defend yourself or you can kill. It's a knife, you can cut the bread or kill someone. It's nuclear energy, you can do atomic bombs or you can do nuclear energy. DAOs could be very evil, right? So we're not going to go into that because it can get depressing very quickly. But in general with technology and this kind of technology which cannot be stopped, the best thing is not to make laws to make impossible for bad things to happen because they happen anyway is to make more good things than bad things but that's another philosophical thought here so DAOs will be very big many people will work for DAOs if you have you know if you're very young or you have, if you have young sons and daughters there's a good chance that before they go and retire, they're going to work for a DAO directly or indirectly. So, I mean, this is maybe one of the most exciting things coming out of crypto. And you thought it was just about speculation on Bitcoin? <laughs> it's much more, isn't it? So, okay, let's end it here. I really hope again that that was mind-opening, mind-blowing, hopefully. And 
I think that this is where you cannot go back. If 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 you haven't found this interesting uh, until now, well, let me suggest you go and and if you're still interested, if you still want to go ahead, start playing with this thing. Start download a MetaMask wallet, get some crypto somewhere, and start interacting with these protocols because it's time. If you find this very boring, okay, fine, just forget it. Maybe it's going to be more usable and more interesting later. Otherwise, I'm sorry to tell you, you probably have gone a bit too far and you won't go back because this is just too interesting compared to the old Web 2. All right, this is the end of today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. For more insights on Web3, follow me on Twitter at TripLuca, T-R-I-P-L-U-C-A. And see you next time.